Well, good morning, everybody. There's some folks coming in, finding seats still. So if you have a spot near you, uh, maybe direct them toward it a little bit so they can sit down. It's good to have you here. Welcome. Welcome, everybody watching online. Good to be with you as well. Hey, I just want to say uh, thanks for uh, celebrating with me about that award. Uh, that's a big deal and a, a great honor, and I'm deeply honored by it. But I also, it's very, very, very important to me that uh, you always remember that, that I know when I receive something like that, that we receive that. Uh, I, get a, I get a lot of credit for what we do, right? My name shows up on a plaque. Uh, but our sacrifices and our vision and our passion for 30 and 30 and our investment uh, into people's lives, that, that's us, that's not me. Uh, it's important that my family, that uh, Josiah, Isaac, uh, Micah, Gabriel, Naomi, and Eli are like a part of that. We do that together, and especially Heidi and uh, the way that she has given her life and gives it for our family and for the kingdom of God. So, so thank you for all the congratulations. And I, I do feel honored, but I, I want you to feel that too. I love you guys. I'm very proud of you. I love you very deeply. And I'm, uh, I'm grateful that we get to do this uh, together. So thanks for that. I also want you to be praying. Uh, we got about, I don't know, probably 150 teenagers out on a retreat right now. They're probably on their way back at this moment. So when service is uh, let out, if you see some uh, haggard adults that look like they need help, go to them. Give them comfort. They've been with your teenagers all weekend. Uh, so that's a blast. And if you're a high school student or if you know one, uh, this, is, this is a high school retreat that's out right now. Uh, you are always welcome to be a part of that. Our student ministries, our high school ministries meet on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock in this room. And it's, a, it's like a dance party every week. It's a, uh, I'm, and I'm not joking about that. Like, it's a lot of fun uh, what they do. And you're always welcome to be a part of that and, and hope that you can, uh, can join it. All right, we're in a series right now called Five Assumptions About God and Why They Are Wrong. And we've been uh, talking uh, out of a book that I, that I just wrote and released by the same name. And uh, if you'd like that book, they're out in the lobbies. Or if you're watching online, you can get it out of the uh, church bookstore online. And we've been reading that book together and talking about it in our groups. And I've been kind of crafting conversations from it. And we're just talking about our views of God and what our assumptions are about God and how we were raised and how we think about and understand God. And some of you were raised in the church. I'm one of those people. I uh, literally started going to church in my mother's womb, was raised there my whole life. And I was taught certain things about God and certain cultural, Christian subcultural expectations about God. And some of the stuff was said out loud. A lot of it was just understood, kind of grew up and knew how to read uh, your church family and church culture. And throughout my life, I've had certain assumptions. I've built certain views of God. Causes me to, we say, hear God in a certain way. When I read the Bible or hear the church, I hear it through a set of lenses because of these assumptions. And in the book and here at Grace, we're just always asking, is that stuff legit? Like, is it true? What does the Bible actually say? What did Jesus actually say? What did he actually do. And then a lot of us here at Grace weren't raised in the church at all. So our assumptions about God come from people who might have represented him well, maybe didn't represent him well. Uh, a news report about somebody doing something terrible or a movie or whatever. Like we, we have these assumptions, like it must be like that. 
Is that true? If you, if you actually went back and looked at the word of God and the scriptures and looked at what Jesus actually say, would those assumptions be true? And if you changed it, if you pushed off that false assumption and locked in a, a true idea, put in a different foundation for living, how might that change kind of how you interact with God or how you hear God or what you, how you might even interact with the church and the people of God? So we're just talking about that stuff trying to figure it out a little bit. We've talked about two of the assumption, assumptions so far. Uh, the first one we talked about was that the assumption that God just wants me to try harder. And that's the idea that God's kind of like the knock it off God, like get your act together, grow up, stop it. That view of God, is that what he's saying? Is that what it's actually all about? Should we think of God in those ways? And, and we talked about that for a long time, a couple weeks ago. Uh, last week, we talked about the second assumption, which is that we, that I assume all God wants me to do is go to church. And this is the, the idea that I'm supposed to go to a holy place and hear from a holy man, holy words, and participate in holy activities. And I pay homage to God. I kind of pay down my spiritual credit card. And if I, if I do enough religious things, that must be what God wants me to do because that's what everybody said. And we just said, well, is that true? Is that what God actually says. And those long conversations are out online. You can go to our website, graceohio.org, and watch them, listen to them there, listen to the podcast, get the book if you want, and, and process all that. But we push back on those two assumptions and said, mm, I don't think they're right. What does God actually say? And we boiled it down to this passage in Matthew chapter 22. Somebody came and asked Jesus, what do you actually want people to do? And he answered the question very, very clearly in Matthew chapter 22. He said, here it is. Here's the greatest commandment. Jesus replied, it's to love the Lord. So I want you to love the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. Later on, he adds the word strength as well. So your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second one. If you love God, you'll love people. And Jesus, fascinating. He doesn't lay out a bunch of rules. He doesn't say you need to go to church all the time. He doesn't say you better do all these kind of things. He said you might do that stuff as a result of loving the Lord, but the, the foundation of it all is not get your act together. The foundation of it all is not be more religious. The foundation of it all is to love the Lord your God. And what does that even mean and how do you do it? And I, I, I told you, you know what, the church I grew up in, if I went and asked my church leaders about that, and if I said to them, tell me how to love the Lord, they couldn't have answered it. Uh, they would have said, read your Bible more or take communion or go to confession or get to church or stop it, you know, stop behaving that way. But how do you, how do you know someone's heart and know someone's mind and and respond out of love. Because loving someone is much more restrictive than following a few rules. And that's what Jesus says, I want you to love me, I want you to go all in with your life like I did. That's gonna cause a lot more behavior modification than just following a couple rules. It's a much bigger commitment to love the Lord and love your neighbor than it is to show up once a week and throw some money in a basket, right? So we just said, no, those first two assumptions aren't right. If this is the bottom line, then Jesus was digging at something different. It's not that we don't change our life. It's not even that we don't go to church, but why and how and what do we do? And those were the conversations I encourage you to listen to and check out a little bit, okay? Now this week, I want to take you to the third conversation. And, and we're just going to launch the conversation today throughout this series uh, if you don't go to group, and we've really been encouraging you to go to group, I know a bunch of you are doing that for the first time or the first time in a long time, 
It's really in that group that these conversations come alive because it's too big to wrap it up neatly in, in one, one weekend conversation. So you get in your groups, you talk about it, read the book if you want, and process through on a, on a personal level. And I want to do that again this weekend. I'm going to talk about the assumption and I'll try to lay down a foundation, but then you're going to have to go kind of work on it, you know, a little bit and talk it through to really get it. So here's the third assumption we're talking about. It's this assumption that, that God will never be happy with me. I just assume that God will never be happy with me. God will never be pleased. God will never be satisfied. I'm always going to be living on the edge in my relationship with God. And that's the way that it works. And that's what faith and religion is. Now, where does that come from? If you were raised in North America, uh, or if you were raised in a Protestant tradition in North America, a lot of how your church functioned is based off of a thought process that swept across the continent in the mid-1700s. And in the mid-1700s, <coughs> there was a, a great move of God across North America that was mostly positive. And that move of God was led by a couple guys, and one of them taught a very, very famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Great sermon, great guy, all, all those kind of things. And this was the premise of, of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The premise was this, that you are a sinner, and your sin and iniquity has separated you from a loving God. So far, so good. That's absolutely true, by the way, 100%. And because you're a sinner, you stand in opposition to God. You are an enemy of God in your heart and an enemy of God in your mind. Also, 100% true. Grace Church would teach the exact same thing because it's accurate. It's, it's exactly what the Bible says. And if you do not repent of your sin, turn from your sin, humble yourself before God, and receive salvation from Jesus Christ, if you fail to do that, then you will when you die, be forever separated from God in a real place called hell forever, and you will receive a punishment or the justice of God, the wrath of God in that place. Also completely true. In the Bible, straight up and down, no, no ifs, ands, buts about it. So we would teach that because it's right, and we would want everybody to know that, right? Now, that's all true, and then there's good news. The good news is that God loves you he loves you so much that he gave his one and only son for you. So Jesus steps out of heaven, comes to earth, lives a perfect life, gave his life for you. He died on the cross for you and, and took your punishment. It's called the substitutionary atonement. He took your punishment for you and made a way for you to be forgiven. Absolutely true. So as a rebellious sinner who stands in opposition to God, if you confess your sins, Christ will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from your unrighteousness, and you will be made holy and acceptable to God. It's by grace. By grace, you're saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not by works so that no one can boast. And if you confess your sins to Christ, then you will be saved. So far, so good. On the money, bingo. That's true for every human being that's ever lived and true for you if you've never done that. And that's exactly what grace would teach and believe because it's what the Bible says. Okay, so, so far we're on the money. What happened then is this, not the original preachers of the sermon. The sermon is called Sinners uh, in the Hands of Anger God, actually a really, really good sermon. 
after the initial movement, kind of the next generation of folks took that idea and they would preach all of it and then they started to add to it a little bit. And what they added to was this concept. You are not going to go to hell anymore if you confess your sins and receive salvation, but you're barely not going to go to hell. Like you're going to go, you might go to heaven kind of by the skin of your teeth. In fact, you are hanging by a thread as the fires of hell are licking at your feet. And if you do not correctly order your life, that thread might break. So we are going. What they did was they said we're going to take this truth. You're you're not you're a Christian now. You're going to go to heaven, but we're going to put together a method, a methodology, that if you follow this method of holy and pure living, it will give you assurance that you'll actually make it into heaven. So we're going to teach you behaviors of how you stay straight with God and disciplines that you put in your life. We're going to tell you how to live a pure life, a holy life that's acceptable to God. And if you do that, then that string, that thread will probably hold up and you won't go to hell. If you don't, some would teach the string will break. Some will teach the string was never there. You were never saved in the first place. There's a bunch of ways to say it. But the focus turned from the doctrine, we call it the doctrine of grace, by grace you're saved through faith, to a holiness type of a living. You better live in these ways, and here's the method in which you will do that. You better get it right. Okay. Now, for most churches in North America, if you're a Protestant and you grew up in church, your theology and teaching at church would have come out of that way of thinking. And in the church I grew up in, that was very true. It would have come out of that way of thinking. So, believing that that was accurate, when I went to church, when I went to church, they didn't teach me about the heart and the mind of God. They taught me what to do. And I would go to church and I would get a new to-do list every week. And so I was even taught to read the Bible that way. I was taught when you read the Bible, find the sins that you should avoid. Because the Bible lists them, and it really does. So you read the Bible, man, you'd start finding it. They'd jump out, oh, there's another one, there's another one. Like you would just start finding these sins. And you need to find those sins, and you need to work those sins out of your life, right? So you would, you would find them, man. Don't tell a lie. Don't think a, a lustful thought. Don't do, and you would start working those sins out of your life. And then you would go back to church, and the pastor, what they would do is they would point out another sin, and then they would yell at you. My church was yellers. They'd yell at you and pound things, right? And so they, they would yell and say, you, if you are living this way, you may not go to, and it always sounded like that. You may not go to heaven or you may not have your salvation. So woo, you'd be like, oh man, I gotta quit doing that, right? I gotta, I gotta quit smoking, drinking, chewing, dating girls who do. And, and there were measurable sins and then there were, they, then what would happen is you go back, they move the goalpost. They'd be like, oh, you quit, you quit dating the girl who does. Like, yeah, I did, man, I stopped it. Well, you know, there's another layer. What? You have to have pure thoughts. What? Pure thoughts. Like, don't, don't think a dirty thought right now. No, 
ha, you just thought one, right? It is, right? And you're like, what? Right? And so you're like, you got to control your thought life. You got to control, I'm like, ah, oh, I got to control my thought life. So you take, and then you, they bring scripture to it. Take every thought captive and, and control your thought life. Um, and so you try to get the willpower up to control your thought life. And then you go back and say, okay, I think I pretty much thought, like, at least not lustful thoughts. I thought, you know, about ugly girls all the time. You know, you like, and, and then they would say, well, wait, there's more. Are you, are you doing that for all the right motives? Right, right, motives, yeah. Are you doing that because you want to please God or are you doing that just because we told you not to think dirty thoughts? Because if you're doing it not just because we told you not to do, think dirty thoughts, you're doing it selfishly. You're like, oh man, I don't know, <laughs> right? Because when you try to have different motives in order to have the right motives, you have the wrong motives for having the right motive. It's the way it works. And pretty soon you, you realize, man, this goalpost always moved. And then on top of that, there were traditions that had to be kept because there's a method. You, you love God this way. So you went to church, my church, you dressed up, suit and tie, no matter what, suit and tie, right? Uh, if you were a woman, maybe on Wednesday nights you could wear a, a skirt, maybe like on a youth retreat, you could wear culottes. Right? But on Sundays, you wore a dress. They'd stop you at the door. You had to have short hair because Jesus had short hair. So you got to have short hair. Right? Everybody knows Jesus had short hair. And, and you, you didn't wear jeans because people who smoke pot wore jeans. And, and you, so you had these traditions. And you, you sang these songs. And if these songs weren't at least 200 years old, then they were shallow. And you had certain instruments a piano, an organ, maybe on a retreat, a guitar, maybe, but you're kind of pushing the liberal side, right? Never drums, never drums, because they mess with your biorhythms and they conjure up demons. <laughs> you laugh. That's what I was taught, right? That, that's the devil's stuff, right? So you didn't do that. Then there's, this, there, there's stuff in the Bible, I gotta find sin, and then there's these traditions. Then there's people you gotta please. Because in this holy place, there's holy people. And there's certain people that they, they have figured it out. They exercise the method correctly. And so the, the pastor, he, he had his life all together, right? He had no chinks in his armor. And then the deacons did, and then like that old lady so-and-so did. And, and, and those people were the people that you aspired to and you tried to make those people happy and those people had opinions about what method you were using and, and that's the way that that works. So you're, you're trying to learn the Bible, you're trying to please God, you're trying to please the pastor, you're trying to please the people and it doesn't take long before you look and say, this is impossible. This is absolutely impossible. There is no way for me to do these things. Now, I don't know how you're wired. I'll tell you how I'm wired. Right? This will be really good for our friendship right now. You get a little insight right now. If I figure out that I can't please you, I'll stop caring. You just need to know that. If you're always grumpy and you're always unsatisfied and you never like and I can't make you happy no matter what, I have a switch in me that will turn off. And, and, and it's, it's probably not a healthy thing, but I'm just telling you what it is. It'll turn off. And I quit caring. If you're always complaining, I, I don't care anymore. If you send me an anonymous note, Mrs. Anonymous goes on a date with Mr. Delete. I don't care what you think. <laughs> just telling you. Just letting you know. Probably should find another church, right? I mean, it's just the way to, like, I don't care. I will, I will shut off. I don't know if you're like that or not. 
And I, that happened with me in my relationship with God. I'm like, this, this is ridiculous. I, I am serving a dysfunctional father who cannot be satisfied. I don't care. I don't care anymore. I give up, right? And that's the way I saw it. God is a dysfunctional heavenly father. The, the Bible is this endless to-do list that you cannot finish. And, and people are trying to, 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 to write their own rules that they expect me to follow. And that's the way I was raised. Now listen, I want you to hear something. None of that, none of it was done with wrong motives. The people in my little church I grew up in, they loved me. I loved them. They were not trying to be jerk. Nobody was a jerk. No, it was not a cult, right? There's no nefarious motives there. Not, not, they weren't trying to control you, but they kind of were. My pastor loves me. He prays for me all the time. There's about five of us came out of that church that are pastors, and, and he loves me and prays for me. I saw him a few years ago. He said, I'm going to come up. Jeff, I want to come up and see your church and hear you preach. I'm like, Pastor, don't do that. Like, <laughs> you won't do well. Like, you know, the minute you hear the band and the demon drums going in the background, like, you're going to have a stroke. So, like, just don't, don't, don't do that, right? You find out Heidi doesn't play the piano and sing, you're just not going to do well, you know, kind of thing. So, I'm like, don't, don't do that. So, th these are loving, kind people who are teaching what they were taught. Is it accurate? That's the question. And here's where it becomes difficult. If I assume that that's the way God is, that he will never be happy with me, he's unpleasable, if I make that assumption, then I will hear God incorrectly. I will, when I read the Bible and I hear the teaching of the church, I will hear a dysfunctional father, a demanding father, a father who's never pleased, a father that breeds insecurity into me. I will hear God as a dysfunctional father. I will read the Bible as, a, as an impossible list, and I will interact with the church as the harsh enforcers of that list. I'm going to go. I know I didn't do well this week, and I'm going to get screamed at. And everybody knows who the pastor's talking about, right? And it will put a foundation in our lives that is not level and steady or right, and you start building off of that foundation. And by the time, for me, by the time I was a junior in college, my, my foundation with God was so cattywampus, it was all messed up. Nothing, nothing like what God is actually like. And I've told you some of the story. When I was a junior in college, I accepted Christ as my savior. I, I ran into some peers that actually were legit and loved Jesus that changed my life. Thankfully, my parents were not like this. My parents were genuine and healthy. They didn't impose all the rules on us when we got home. So I had that foundation as well. And when I accepted Christ, I, I started looking at the scriptures differently, hearing God differently, and what happened was this, I would run into parts of the Bible that were nothing like what I was taught. And I started to see Jesus for who he really was and what he was really like, right? Let me show you an example of this. This is a part of the Bible that is nothing like what I just said, but it's actually what Jesus is talking about. Grab your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, 
It's page 682 in those Bibles that are in the chairs there if you want to use those, or the app. If you want to open the app up, it's there as well. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Let me read this, and we'll talk about it a little bit. This is Jesus. These are all Jesus' words, right? So we're just quoting Jesus. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Fascinating. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So before we dig into this, let's, let me just talk to you about what a yoke is in the Bible, because that's a weird word, okay? So a yoke. When Jesus says yoke, he's talking about this. This is a yoke, all right? He's talking about this. Now, this is a small one. Uh, in the ancient world, this would, would have been as common as a lawnmower, okay? So it's just a normal farming tool. And what you would do with a yoke is you'd pull these pins and drop this. You'd probably this one, you put like a goat in it. And then you would put this around a sec, put the pins back in, put another goat on this side. And then the two goats would pull in unison the yoke. Uh, in, the, in the ancient world, even today, in some of the undeveloped world, you could find a yoke like this that would weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And you might put oxen in it. And they would plow a rice paddy or plow a, a field. And the idea was this, you'd lock them both in there and they would lock in unison and then you would attach your, your guide straps here and you would steer. And when you pulled, when you pulled on one goat, it would turn and the other one would have to turn with it. And then vice versa, right? So they worked in unison. So this was a physical thing that was very familiar to the ancient world. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, an ancient hearer would have heard this, understood the physical thing of a yoke, and then understood all the metaphorical meaning behind it. So we do this all the time. We talk about physical things, but we mean it in a metaphorical way. So if I went up to you and said, hey, listen, man, you got to get on a bus. You got to get on the bus, right? And not only do you got to get on the bus, you got to get on the right seat on the bus to be on this team. Well, we would understand what we're talking about. I'm not talking about like, go get on a bus, right? I'm using a physical thing and talking about we got to work together. Or if I said to you, if, if something bad happened to you, you lost your job or somebody broke up with you, I, and we're talking, I might look at you and I might say, hey, hey, bro, I'm really sorry, but listen, that ship has sailed. We got to move on. That ship has sailed, right? Well, you would know what I mean. You wouldn't be like, what ship? The ship of loneliness? Like, yeah, it's, not, it's not what you would do. You, you, would, you would understand, like, I'm, I'm saying something physical but you would translate it culturally into a metaphorical meaning. That's what happened with Jesus. When, when he said, hey, the yoke that everybody understood, like, oh, I see what he's saying. He's talking about walking in unison with him, and then he's talking about a lot more, and this is the more that Jesus was talking about. In the ancient world, the ancient Jewish world, every young Jewish boy, uh, for the most part, learned the Torah, the first few books of the Old Testament. <clears throat> and they would go to religious school and they would learn that and they would memorize the, the Torah. After they did that, as they kind of grow older, think of junior high and high school, those who were really good students or and or those who had money would continue in their religious education. Those who were not good students or those who did not have, whose families didn't have money 
those boys would go back and learn their father's trade. They would become like carpenters or fishermen, that kind of a thing. But those who had money would go on in religious school and they would keep studying. And about the time they got into what we would think of as high school, they would start to look around and they would look for a rabbi, which is a Jewish word for teacher. They would look for a rabbi to attach themselves to. And what, what, how it worked was like this. Each rabbi had a view of the Torah and he would view the, the, the Torah a certain way and he would view the law a certain way and then he would attach practices and worldviews to his understanding of the law and the Torah. So he would say, I interpret it this way and that means we should live this way and that was his worldview and his understanding. It's not unlike how we choose a church today. We might go and kind of look at different churches and we, we might look and say, I, I want them to be in like a theological parameter, a doctrinal parameter. And then what, what's the pastor trying to get us to do? So Grace Church would be very heavily, we would lean very heavily on the doctrine of grace, right? And so you might look and say, that makes sense to me. I believe, I agree with that. I want to learn more and more about that. And I want my children raised that way. We're going to Grace Church. So a young student would look at a rabbi that way and say, man, he, he sees it this way. This is the parameter. But he exercises the law this way. He attaches his behavior. That This is what his worldview is, how he teaches us to live. And in the ancient world, they called that the rabbi's yoke. His worldview, his method of teaching, his viewing of the law, the yoke. A young student then would say, I want to take his yoke upon me. I want to learn how he sees this. I want to practice the same thing. I want to become his disciple. So the rabbi then would have a disciple who was learning the same yoke. And the idea was that I act like, think like, love like, I'm motivated like my rabbi with the goal that I so identify with his yoke that it becomes my own. And people, when they heard me teach, would say, oh, you must be a disciple of rabbi so-and-so. And eventually the high goal was that this yoke would become my yoke and I would propagate the teaching of the rabbi as if he himself were there making his appeal through me. So the rabbi would have disciples. The disciples would undergo discipleship and adopt the yoke of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, they got that imagery. They understood all of that. And then they got the rest of it. Get on the bus. The ship has sailed, right? And they understood culturally, instinctively, what Jesus was saying, right? Now, what does all this mean for us? Well, let's pick it apart. So Jesus, Jesus takes this invitation and he says, I want you to take your yoke upon you. Is God ever pleased with me? Well, let's see what God says. So Jesus says this. This is the invitation, Matthew chapter 23. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says to us through the scripture, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, look at this. It's fascinating. So Jesus says this. I, I'm, I'm putting out an invitation, and the invitation is to all who are weary and heavy laden. That's the invitation. Everybody who is weary and heavy laden, come to me. Now, the word all 
and the original Greek language means all. That's what, it's, a, it's a very difficult translation, but we've mastered it. So, so all means all, right? So all, everybody, everyone, and this is a spiritual conversation Jesus is having here. So everyone who is spiritually weary and heavy laden, come to me. Everybody. Weary of what? Heavy laden with what? Well, with spiritual weariness, spiritual weight. What does that mean? Come to me all who are weary of the goal line always being moved. Come to me all you who, everybody who's weary of trying to keep traditions you don't understand. Everyone who is weary of trying to make yourself pure weary of trying to get pastor so-and-so, father so-and-so, sister such-and-such to accept you. Everyone who is weary of that worn out, exhausted, can't take it, and heavy laden. Laden with what? Because it's all. So laden with what? Well, even those of you who are, we would say, not yet Christ followers. So I'm heavy laden with my sin. I'm, I'm, I'm weighed down with guilt. The life that I have lived has caught up with me. I'm weighed down with guilt. I have failed my children and my loved ones, right? I, I am heavy laden with, I'm, uh, uh, with the burden of I gotta get myself to heaven. Did I do enough? Was the check big enough? Did I show up at church enough? Did I, did I say Christian cuss words instead of regular cuss words? Like, have, have I done enough? All who are weary and heavy laden with the insecurity of is God happy with me that I make the grade? Am I going to? So Jesus says, if you're sick and tired of that, come to me. And then he goes on, he says, and, and you know what I'll do? I will give you rest. Isn't that fascinating? You, you come to me, and, and I will give you rest. Who will give you rest? I will. Jesus will. And I will give you rest. Isn't that fascinating? I, I never, ever thought of my relationship with God as restful. I thought of it as dutiful. Man, I got to get up and go do that. I had to go to that, I had to go to church and like try to make it through the sermon. I got it, oh man, I'm kind of, I don't have a lot of money, but I, I better throw my money in the basket. I guess I'm supposed to go love that jerk over there. Right? It's fascinating, it's very fascinating. If, if you're tired and weary, come to me and I will do something completely different for you. I will give you rest. I gotta make sister so-and-so happy, brother such-and-such such happy. I better show up. I tense up when I go in the church. Time to smack on the happy plastic face and fake it. Hope I don't get called out. Hope I don't get found out. Hope my double life doesn't get exposed. Never rest. Angst. If you're tired of that and weary of it and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you 
rest. Well, how? How do you get this rest? How does this work? All right, I come to you. What's going to happen when I get there? Well, he goes on and he says this. This is how you get it. Ready? It sounds weird, but this is what he says. The way you get it is this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. So that, that's kind of counterintuitive. So the way that I find rest is I take your yoke and I learn from you. Well, yokes don't sound restful. They sound like instruments of work. Take your yoke. Take your way of thinking. Take your teaching. Take your worldview. Take your truth. Take your mindset and learn from me. So there must be something different about Jesus' yoke. Because the yoke that I grew up with as an ancient Jewish kid was, you better keep these 64 categories of the Sabbath law. You, you better fast in these ways. You better shape up in this stuff. You better go outside the camp for that and do that. Like it was all these rules that were impossible. Jesus says, I have a different yoke. My yoke is different. What's different about my yoke? And, and Christ might say, well, my yoke is a yoke of freedom. I've come to set you free from the, your bondage to sin. I've, I've come to set you free from the law. I've come to set you free from your own self-righteousness. My yoke is a yoke of freedom. It's a teaching of a worldview of a, a set of truths of freedom. Learn that from me. Learn what I'm teaching. Because I'm not teaching, get your act together, knock it off. You're on the verge of snapping your thread and deep frying in hell. I'm teaching that I love you and that I will help you and that I will serve you and that I will empower you. In fact, my teaching is gentle and humble. Isn't that fascinating? I am a gentle and humble teacher. Tell you what, tell you what I do. Here's my yoke, here's my yoke, here's my yoke. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Ready? You know what I'm gonna do? I'll do everything. I'm going to set you free from your need to be the object of God's wrath. I will be your substitute. I will pay a debt I don't owe for you who owe a debt you can't pay. You don't ever have to square up with the Father. I'll do it. I'll be the substitutionary atonement. In fact, I'm going to go to the cross having never sinned and the wrath of God meant for you will be poured out on me. That's my yoke. You know what else I'm going to do? <laughs> Here it goes. I know this whole thing is hard to learn, so I'm going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a helper. His name is the Holy Spirit. You can call him Spirit, a lot of people do. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to help you. In fact, you don't even have to figure out how to live. Well, all you got to figure out how to do is walk in the Spirit and follow His leading. He'll take you. That's going to be helpful. You know what else I'm going to do? Yeah, I got, I got another one. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create for you a group of called out people called the church bunch of other people who have taken my yoke 
And what they're going to do, they're going to pray for you, bear your burdens with you, rejoice with you, mourn with you, sharpen you, encourage you, confront you. They're, they're going to help you learn the yoke. Isn't that great? I got another one. You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> Just to, for good measure, I'm going to write it all down. <laughs> and I'm going, to, I'm going to create for you a book that's directly from my heart and mind, and I'm going to make it inerrant and inspired and authoritative, and I'm going to preserve it. And when you read that book, you'll be able to see people who did great with the yoke and people who didn't do so hot with the yoke and everything in between, and, and, and you'll know me and understand me. In fact, I'll make it like a spiritual thing. The Holy Spirit will help you understand it. Well, that, that didn't sound anything the way I grew up. That, that didn't sound anything like a God that was just mad all the time and that I was, it sounded like a, a gentle shepherd. I didn't grow up in a gentle environment. I went to church and got screamed at. I went to church and got my sins pointed out every single time, like mine, not like sin in general, like mine. You ever been the illustration at church? I've been the illustration at church. You ever been the illustration at church? Right? I've been the illustration. There's only 50, 60 people in my church and like just a few teenagers. So when, when we're sitting there and a pastor starts in and he's like, let's talk about secular music. I went past a teenager the other day that was playing Def Leppards in his car and they were pouring sugar on something. And it was, a, it was a worldly car. It was a black Escort GT with orange racing stripe. And I mean, and you knew it was you. I'm like, oh, man, I'm the only one. And you try to, you're like, you try to blame your sister. You're like, Sharon, really? And you, know, you know it's you. You know it's you, right? You ever been to the illustration church? Nobody had the courage to look you in the eye. Nobody had the gentleness to pull you aside and say, hey, listen, let's think about whether that honors God or nobody did that. That doesn't sound anything like what Jesus did. And I'm humble. Take my yoke, learn from me, because I am gentle and humble. You know what I'll do? I'll tell you what I'll do. I will lay aside all of my rights, step out of heaven, put skin on, live among you, just so I can make sense to you. And then I will freely and willingly lay down my life and die a death I didn't deserve to die. That didn't, that didn't sound anything the way I was raised, what I knew about God, what I assumed. Very different things. Jesus goes on. And he says, that, that's the deal. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What do you mean easy? In fact, we worked at this. What do you mean easy? Well, easy like this. Tell you what, you can't sanctify yourself. Tell you what, I'll do it for you, easy peasy. You can't justify yourself. No matter how hard you work, you can't do that. You tell you what, I'll justify you. Easy peasy. You, you can't create your own righteousness. Tell you what, I'll give you mine. Easy peasy. 
You can't make yourself holy to God. I'll tell you what, I'll make you holy. You can't, you can't forgive your own sins. Tell you what, I'll forgive your sins. You can't get yourself to heaven. Tell you what, I'll, I'll get you to heaven. I'll do it all. Easy. I didn't say cheap. I said easy. I will do all of that for you. What do I do in return? Love the Lord your God. That's it. That's it. That's it. Everything hangs on that. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's it. Easy and light. All you got to do is love me and receive my love for me. Accept what I have offered you. That's it. Love the Lord your God. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Just love like that. So I don't, I don't have to modify my behavior? Well, of course you do. Oh, I knew there was a catch. No, 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 no. Love modifies behavior. You can't stop it from happening. So can I sleep with whoever I want to sleep with? No. Why not? Because it's not loving. Jesus wouldn't do that. If you love her enough to live with her, you should love her enough to marry her. Why wouldn't you do that? You're not loving your neighbors. So can I cuss that guy out? No, why not? Well, because Christ wouldn't do that. In fact, if you're a follower, you shouldn't have any of that language a part of your life because it's not loving. You're not, it's not, it would, if Christ himself were there, would he cuss the guy out? So my behavior modifies because my heart is changed. See? It's not because I'm, I'm following a list, getting my act together, knocking it off trying to stay out of hell somehow. It's because Christ has done all the work. The yoke is easy, it's light, and the ramifications of living under that yoke and in that yoke are as far-reaching. Because the, the rules that I follow, I'm always gonna find the minimum and check out. The love that I express, when I love somebody, it changes my life. Heidi has messed up my life. <laughs> I love her. I want her to mess up my life. My kids, our children, Heidi and I's children, have cost us a fortune. <laughs> They're the most expensive little things on the planet. There's a fee for this and a fee for that. And I want to play sports and I want to go to the school of ministry. And I want to, I'm like, yeah. But I do that with joy. Dad, I have a vision for my life. Will you help me go to school? Really? School? Or if you love them, do you approach all those behavior modifications differently? So my, my life is going to get messed up because I love somebody. And Jesus said, you, you come at me, you, you try to earn this, work it, make it heavy, make it burdensome. It's not going to work anyways. It's just filthy rags to me. I don't care about it. But if you accept and receive, that's easy. It's a free gift. It's easy. It's light. There's massive ramifications to it, of course, because now we love differently. In fact, you know what? I'll do that for you too. I'll cause fruits of the Spirit to happen in your life. And when you live like that, I'm pleased. It's what I want. It's the bottom line. It's how you make me happy. So are we a sinner? Oh, yeah. Am I still like, if I don't accept Christ, am I still going to go to hell? Yep. 
It's not that you might, it's that you're on your way there right now. So how does God view me? Well, he loves you. So much so that he lets you know you're in trouble. And he gave his only son, not to condemn you, but to save you. Made a way of escape. And all the justice and wrath and holiness of God, it's all poured out on him. He took it all. So what do I do? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's by grace you're saved through faith. Not of your work, not by works, gift of God, not by yourself. So you can't boast about it. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Whoever believes that, God sent his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ died once for all so that none should perish. So when, when I'm an object of God's wrath, I receive God's love, that's all straight up legit. And when I accept the forgiveness of Christ and put my life under his definition and direction, right, I become a child of God. And once I'm a child of God, I'm not living on the edge. I'm not hoping to make it. I'm not trying to straighten this out. I'm not wondering if my father is pleased with me. He is. Not because of who I am, but because of what Christ has done. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the holiness of Christ. He sees the sanctification of Christ, the justification of Christ. And he's pleased. Paul says, you know, some of you, so he says to the Corinthians, some of you, man, were idolaters. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you were gossip, slanders, murderers, homosexual offenders. It's, you unite yourself with a prostitute. Like, that's what, some, that's what a, a bunch of you guys did that. And then I love this phrase. He says, and that's what you were. And you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved. And because of that, now you are sanctified. You are justified. You are made right with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says, you know what, guys, listen. When you accept me as Savior and now you're a child of God, you know what? We're just going to start over. The old's gone. The new's come. Whole different thing happening now. You know what? Your sins, they're, I'm going to throw them far as the east is from the west. I'm going to wash your heart wider than snow. I'm going to put your sins at the bottom of the sea. I don't even remember them. Because you're not my enemy or my friend. You're not the object of my wrath. You're the object of my love and grace. You're, you're not somebody out there anymore. You're my daughter, my son. A co-heir with Jesus Christ himself. And I did it for you. See what Peter says this. 2 Peter 1.3, he says, his, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Whose power? Christ, not mine, Christ. Has given us everything that we need. Easy, light, not cheap. Easy, light, because of what Christ did. Now, I'll be honest with you. You can probably tell I am a little fired up about this. This truth is the hardest one for me to believe in the Bible. I'm just being honest with you. Because I have it so drilled in my head that God's not happy. And if I, if I you better not screw it up, Jeff, or 
This one's hard for me to believe. I can believe a literal six days creation, no problem. If a guy can raise himself from the dead, he can create the world. No big deal. Noah's Ark, I'm in on it. Right? Adam and Eve, real people, no problem. Right? Tower of Babel actually happened. Like, I'm in on all of those. God loves you, accepts you, and is pleased with you? Mmm, I don't know. It's the way I respond to it. Do you believe that? Listen, do, do you believe God loves you? He's pleased with you. He accepts you. You're a co- if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. When God looks at Jesus, he sees you equally. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are his child. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says God awakes in the morning and, and he sings over us. Young moms, you ever sing over your babies? I bet you do. You ever sing over your babies? Good morning. I love you. You're beautiful. You're stinky. <laughs> you ever sing over your babies? With a highlight of it, the, the joy of having that child? See, ladies, you are, a, you are a daughter of God. My daughter, Naomi, <laughs> nobody has my heart like that little girl does. Nobody. God looks at you like that. You're my daughter. I am wrapped around your finger. I love you. I can't wait to be with you. Men, do you believe that God is proud of you? You believe that? He's actually proud of you. He's, he's cheering for you. In fact, the whole crowd of witnesses are cheering for you as you pursue righteousness. My boys, I'm proud of my boys. I look at them like that. When my boys do something right, I'm proud of them. When they love the way they cry, I'm proud of them. When they stand up for injustice, I'm proud of them. All the way, when they clean somebody on the lacrosse field, I'm like, that's my kid. <laughs> Remember, 42, right? It's like, right? It's, you're proud of them for it. You believe God's proud of you? That's my son. My son that just did justice, love mercy, he walks humbly with me. My son that just proclaimed my story to somebody else. My, I was just talking to a guy in between services. He, he, he was on a plane, he was reading my book. He, he, somebody said, that's a weird book. And he said, you ought to meet the author. And he gave her the book, talked to her for, to, about Jesus for a couple hours. And I looked at my friend, I said, your father's proud of you. He teared up. See, your, your heavenly father's like, that's my, my kid right there that did that. Love somebody as if I was sitting beside her on the plane. You believe that about God? That he takes joy in you, pleasure in you? He's proud of you. When you stumble, he runs right beside you and helps you up. He walks with you. We don't tremble before God. We barge into the throne room. Dad, listen, we got to talk. Come boldly before the throne of God in prayer. You believe that? Nobody told me that. Nobody told me. 
I ran into some friends and I saw it in them. It made sense because I saw my parents kind of living that way. When I got to Grace Church, Pastor Bob started telling me. That's how I found out. I didn't know, I didn't know this stuff. It's so ingrained in me that when I teach you this, I feel liberal. That's what I was taught. That's, that's the way the liberals think, Jeff. You preach on sin. You preach to convict. I, I feel liberal. Like that's, that's what's going to blow up on the internet later. Bogue went liberal. <laughs> Give me your plaque back. I mean, that's the way it's going <laughs> to... God is a God of wrath, justice, holiness, even vengeance. And as true as that is, it is equally true he's a God of mercy, love, acceptance, grace, encouragement, compassion. In Christ, God's happy with you. In Christ, God's cheering for you. In Christ, God is satisfied with you. Let your soul rest. See? Because when I start serving that God, I serve him completely differently than a God of, of list and moving goalpost and accusation. Right? Okay. Band's going to come out, make a little space for us, and maybe this is the thing that you want. I told you, you know, there's no way, like, to pro this, this stuff is tangled deep, right? I, I'm, I'm confessing to you. I wrote the book, and I don't have it figured out. Like, I struggle with it. So this is where brothers and sisters gathering together in your homes and your groups, it's huge. If you're watching on the internet, like getting involved in those things, it's huge because it, that's where you start really fleshing it out in real time. I want you to take this conversation. The band will take some space where we can think and begin to process. And then we'll have to take a couple steps further and... Uh, and really work against this false assumption. If you pull it out and put in a strong foundation, right, where would your relationship with God actually go? Jesus, help us with this one. It's tough. Well-intentioned people often doing their best. But Lord, you, your truth, your life, your way, that's that's what we have to cling to. So Holy Spirit, help us to untangle this. Holy Spirit, those of us who are not saved yet, draw us to yourself with your kindness to repentance. Impress deep into our hearts and deep into our minds and give us yours. Do that work in us even now, Jesus, in your name. Amen.